Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. Well, hello and welcome to a very testing version of the Race Formula E podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Vanderberg, and joining me is the trouble starter, the punkin instigator. He's the fear addicted, a danger illustrated. That's right. It's our very own fire starter, Sam Smith. <laughs> Sam, you were in Valencia. I see. I, I nailed that in one take. No, no, no need to laugh. <laughs> um, and it's fair to say that this was a test dominated more by what happened off the track than on it with that, I think, the, the most serious battery fire we've had in Formula in the 10 years of Formula E to date. Yeah, I would say so. Well, I'm too old to be a prodigy, so um, but I'll, I'll go ahead anyway. Uh, it, it was. It was... Um, it was a it was a serious incident, um, but I think it needs to be rationalised and contextualised a little bit in the sense of well, you rightly said it's the first incident involving a traction actual traction battery for a decade, which I think when you consider you know you look at the old days of Formula One and you look at Group C when they were um, when they were innovating pit stops, um, there is always going to be an incident of some kind, and actually I think having it happen at the Valencia test is as good a place as any permanent pit facilities, um, concrete garages, and I suppose an infrastructure whereby you don't have to, um, you don't have to get people out of, of over a vast area. I mean, imagine if something like that happened at Monaco, it would be a whole different logistical challenge to go through all the procedures that they went through in Formula E. But yeah, or, or it, some of the other pits that we've been to remember Moscow, yeah. Blimey, if it had happened there, would have been uh, mm. absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I think the chances of formally going to Moscow again are, are probably quite slim. Uh, li- limited, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, I think I think yeah. I mean, there we were. We were there three hours into testing. It was pretty quiet actually. Everyone was getting on with their programs. Nothing particularly um, to, to to report, other than Robert Schwartzman stopping his DS. Penske on the track. I actually spoke to Thomas Chevouchier, the Stellantis Motorsport boss, immediately after that, and, and they were just waiting for news from Williams because the, the the traction battery was extricated from the the chassis it was in, taken up to the Williams um, pit, WA pit, and it was there that the incident occurred. Now it happened midway through the press conference, which was a bit disconcerting and and the one thing so first of all the fire was addressed and it was smothered pretty quickly i mean this this wasn't a huge conflagration and I, we we ran a picture which looked like a, a big fire i think there was an initial what they re, what they reported was that there was an, an arc flash so if you imagine you know I, I suppose everybody's seen an arc flash when they were messing around with their Ford Fiesta or their XR3s back in the holiday and you often got this with the with the battery but imagine that on a on a larger scale and that's where the the fire started it was put out pretty efficiently uh, the one thing which i think they will 
look at for the investigation is there were no immediate fire alarms and that certainly in the media center which was immediately above the uh the garage where the incident occurred so that was a bit disconcerting because if it hadn't been for somebody coming in and literally telling us to get the hell out of there then um it could have been a bit dodgy that's a part the um the evacuation went went reasonably smoothly. There was some concern about really where everybody went, but everybody found their muster station, if they like, and, and we found ourselves in the situation of, of watching the local authorities come and help um, the safety parameters that Formula E had, and um, and then we just awaited updates on, on what it would be. But, it, yeah, it did have a serious knock-on for, for track running, of course. Where does the investigation go now? Is they, have they learned everything they need to know? Is this is this job done, or are there going to be some uh, ramifications that come from this? Yeah, I mean, what will happen is that the batteries are going to go back to WAE, but I was told that they were going to go back anyway. They get freighted separately. Obviously, the batteries need to have their own very tight um, legislation for for travelling on aircraft. Um, the, the FIA did release a statement on Friday afternoon, which was a full three days afterwards. And, and while that statement went through the timeline of, of, of how things happened and the fact that this arc flash caused the fire, that there wasn't any detail about the actual cause, what, you know, why this happened. The, the batteries were refurbished after London and they went back and uh, the cells were, were refurbished. But... Well, you know whether that's coincidence or not, or whether there is another issue, we don't know. The investigation will be ongoing back at WAE. I think quite a lot of the uh, the lag of knowing exactly what transpired is probably to do with the fact that um, the battery management system uh, on the car um, was severely damaged. So effectively, you know, call that what you want—a black box or the the data acquisition from the actual unit was was probably uh, damaged beyond a lot of repair so they don't actually know uh, a lot of how this fire transpired but they did specify that they were confident that it wouldn't happen on any of the other um, the other units and henceforth they re uh, restarted uh, restarted testing on Thursday afternoon but at a reduced power they they were only using 300 kilowatts and the fast charging which we'll go on to a bit later which was to be evidence to use in the sporting format for next season um, that was not used during the race and, and um, just just to reiterate the fast charging infrastructure that was being seen for the first time publicly anyway at Valencia was in no way uh, part of this fire this was a traction battery the car battery uh, within the car so um, yeah I think a lot of lessons will be learned but as I said at the top there I think if it was going to happen anywhere Valencia is the best place for it to happen and they will of course learn a lot now about um, about the evacuation procedures and so forth but that you know what we haven't mentioned is the fact that one of the WAE personnel was taken to hospital uh, um, and, and treated for for a, I think a very minor injury and and they were back at the circuit uh, very quickly afterwards. So that's the main thing. You know, nobody got hurt in these things because they can be pretty terrifying when they happen. Well, obviously you were there on the ground, and I believe you caught up with uh, Porsche's uh, Florian Modlinger, who gave you a little bit more insight into the incident. Yeah, that's right. I met up with Florian. In the uh, the uh, are they auspicious or inauspicious in Valencia the hotels I don't know probably somewhere in the middle uh, what the ones near the track inauspicious <laughs> you called it <laughs> so uh, Flor Florian was good enough to sit down with me the the morning after the incident and and what actually I wasn't uh, fully aware of was the fact that the the two Porsches were actually 
on the circuit um, as this fire occurred. They were doing some filming at lunchtime. So, yeah, Florian explains here what he saw and, and the procedures that Porsche went through in that pretty frightening few minutes when uh, that big pull of smoke came up from the WA garage. So I'm delighted to say I am with Florian Modlinger, the director of Porsche Motorsport in Formula E. And we're in the uh, different circumstances of being in the hotel that Porsche is staying at here at Valencia. We're not at the track because it's the day after the incident which uh, happened in the WAE garage. And, and Florian, it was a dramatic day yesterday. The main thing was that nobody was significantly injured um, and the fire was contained. It's actually 10 years that Formula E has been racing or been functional and this is the first time we've had a problem with the traction battery. We've had 12 volt battery issues before but just give us an overview of, of, of what happened yesterday and, and your viewpoint as to, to how that was managed. Yes, uh, I can only give my subjective individual uh, expressions what happened yesterday and how I saw the situation. It was during the lunch break. We had our official filming running ongoing. This means our two cars were on track. Um, and I personally had a quick look on the other side of the paddock. This means I went from, from the garage to, to the paddock and I yeah, recognized a strange smell. And I saw already there's something going on uh, which should not go on here in the paddock. And then I saw already some small smoke uh, which was getting bigger quite quickly and then we moved on the other side of the paddock uh, into the pit lane because of the wind direction and then we realized that there's a serious issue ongoing uh, each team what i could so see from my point of view reacted quite well uh, this means the first thing was to make sure that no is injured and all people are uh, aware of the situation and then uh, each team tried to save what was possible to save. This means pulled out the cars of the garage in a safe manner. We stopped our cars in turn one, uh, exiting uh, the pit lane. And of course, because you, you were doing some filming at the time. Correct. We were filming. Our cars were running. Uh, they passed two times the, the start-finish uh, line. And then we stopped them at the pit exit and pulled them in the direction of turn one. Uh, made sure that we left our garage. All people are gone from our team. And then the guys uh, went into the evacuation area, which is outside of the paddock on the parking slot. And I took care about the drivers uh, and, and we exited them later. I think I was one of the last persons exiting the paddock. Now, the, uh, the direct impact of that fire, there was, there was a whole day of testing was lost. Um, initially, well, uh, the there was going to be a complete down day. Then uh, bits of media started happening and people coming in and out the track. And I, I think you sort of did your great escape impression and, and got in there somehow. So uh, what, what, was, what was the fallout from that, uh, that day being lost? Yeah, well, first and foremost, it was the investigation, which, as I said, was, was pretty detailed. They had to be sure that the cars could get out there running again. And, and they became sure of that, I think, as, as Wednesday turned into Thursday. And they put a statement out saying that the Thursday morning um, there wouldn't be any running, but they would continue to just double, triple, quadruple check that everything was safe to run on Thursday afternoon. And that's what they did. 
And I think, you know, huge pressure on the FIA and, and Formula E to get this thing back running. And they didn't lose much time because they extended the Thursday session to, to dusk effectively. And then on Friday, they ran dawn to dusk um, without any break. So I think, I, you know, I can't remember what it was. I think it was only around an hour or so that they actually lost um, in terms of the, the time that was originally allowed. So, yeah, I think, I mean... It, when these things do happen, what people need to understand is the, the logistical challenges that are put in place. Formula E had to run some kind of media event or a media day, which they did on the Wednesday, the day immediately after. Um, credited media weren't allowed into the track until later on in the afternoon. Some media were allowed um, earlier that day. So, um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> frustrating for for the season accredited accredited media to um to to let's say um get less favor than some of the paid media that that go there which kind of rankled a little bit but that's uh that's part and parcel of of how things are run at Formula E and um yeah it was it was frustrating but we managed to get in and we managed to uh, get the stories and the um and some of the feedback from people who were realigning their testing strategies and understanding quite how they went about these these final few days, but I, I I think I think they ultimately did a did a decent job to salvage it because I think potentially if this had happened in well I mean imagine if this had happened last year when they was you know a week before Christmas and with all those issues they had with the Gen three car so thank goodness that it didn't happen last year because I mean that would have been a serious concern for the first race which was then only three weeks away uh, now they have a bit more luxury of time in november december and the first part of january to get everything right but uh, from what i understand speaking to some sources um at the fia and 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 within the the williams domain i think they're, they're pretty confident that they will find out what caused this and they are completely confident that this didn't compromise anything any of the other traction batteries in the car so um yeah i i think uh i think ultimately they kind of got away with it quite a bit but uh, yeah it's 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 one of those things that can take on a life of its own unfortunately especially with new technology and um it's just it's just understanding that formula e Yes, there was an incident in Long Beach with a 12-volt battery. There was one in Montreal with a 12-volt battery. But the actual traction battery itself have been incredibly um, inc- incredibly resilient to this this type of incident. So it's it's very much a, a one-off occurrence, I hope. We haven't mentioned at all, really, what happened on track. So who was quickest? Who's made a step forward? Uh, what new guys in new teams were out there? And uh, how did all of that part of it go? Yeah, I mean there was there was a, a lot of laps completed in Valencia last week. Mitch Evans topped the times with a a one minute twenty four four seven four, which I think on memory is about six tenths quicker than the last season's um, best, which Max Gunter set for Maserati MSG. Uh, Mitch completed two hundred forty seven laps. I think Buemi in the Envision was the the driver who actually accrued the most laps. Um, over the week, he did 276. So, you know, there was a good, um, there was a good sort of thousand, what's that probably, I think between teams, a thousand Ks of, of running. So a lot of the drivers, Mitch Evans was telling me that he actually hadn't driven since the London finale. I think he'd done, you know, a 20 minute shake now, but not actually driven 
around the track. So lots of new faces and lots of teams. It took a bit of getting used to, actually. One of those classics where you go down from the media centre and you go and look for you know, a certain driver, you guaranteed to go to the wrong pit for at least one occurrence on that. But, yeah, good to see. I mean, there, there were rookies. Not all the rookies got a, a shot that running um, Sheldon van der Linde had a wasted journey so did Jack Aitken I think Jordan King didn't get any time as well but some did Victor Martins the F2 winner got some more laps for Nissan Luca Giotto at Nissan too um, so yeah we had some um, and, and Gabriella Zilkova who um, was a surprise addition for Porsche um, reasonably modest CV and GT4s and LMP3 but yeah, um, yeah she did a good uh, she did a good chunk of laps actually and acquitted herself pretty decently okay um the other thing we didn't mention about with the fire was the impact had on mahindra whose pit were directly next door and they've lost a car is it is it beyond salvageable or was it just the, for the for the test that they were a car down no the the, the car did suffer some uh, let's call it peripheral damage i mean mainly with the um with the foam or the solution that they uh, used to put the fire out and the, the bigger problem for them from an operational point of view was the it systems which which completely i think a few of them completely melted so they had lots of uh, lots of tools that were unavailable to them and it made nick de Vries's car completely unrunnable so they majored on edo mortara's car and then nick de Vries got in and shared that with edo uh, on the Friday so yeah I mean it was unfortunate for Mahindra they were directly next door to the WAE garage um, I, the, the car itself I'm told wasn't um, overly damaged but obviously you've got a hell of a lot of cleaning to do you know that that solution the, the foam or the agent that they use gets mm. everywhere you know you think you've got problems when you beach a car in the gravel and getting the hoover out this is a this is like a deep clean for the car so what's going to happen is those two cars will go back to Mahindra's base in Banbury they will then get an extra test which I think is only fair and reasonable because they've lost a, a chunk of track time and that will be overseen by an FIA delegate there to make sure it's all fair and square and then those cars will be freighted to Mexico separately the rest of the grid is actually going I think today which is uh, Monday the 30th or perhaps it's tomorrow certainly by the end of October and um, yeah they, they're, they're gonna have to get that certainly i think they'll probably get both cars cleaned and every component taken off and stripped down and then rebuilt um and then they'll go testing with uh, certainly with devries's car and and sort of get back on a level pegging with the rest of the grid i mean you know if there was one team that needed every lap heading into mexico it's mahindra because they certainly didn't have um didn't have the season they wanted last season they're you know, really playing catch up a little bit on the rest of the field so yeah a really tough day for mahindra i spoke to fred bertrand actually and he was um he was very um pretty sanguine about the whole thing kind of act of god or whatever you want to call it they're just going to make the best of it now uh, and i think he was actually quite grateful to the other teams who uh, certainly andretti and i'm sure other teams lent a hand to to supply equipment and just just try and help help those guys out so quite a nice sort of spirit of the paddock thing going on there for for mahindra to get them out of that that uh, that hole they were in with the cars now heading off to mexico and very little that can be done to uh to change them are you prepared to make any proclamations about pace and form and, and stuff but even though we're miles out from that first race 
Yeah, I'm always reticent with Valencia because it told us absolutely zero last year, didn't it? Do you remember? Yeah. Maserati and DS <laughs> topping the times, looking like they're in a class of their own. I mean, uh, you know, that was a real red herring. I, I think I think there are certain things at Valencia that, that teams can um that, that teams can help um get a bit of a leg up in development. But from what we saw, certainly Jaguar and Porsche, you know, if you look at the top the top four were, were all Jaguar and Porsche cars, De Costa second. And th- and this is no surprise, right? This no, is no, you it's wouldn't not. put your money on that anyway. No, exactly. Yeah. Nick Cassidy was third, Buemi was fourth, uh, Verline was in the top eight. So I think yeah, I mean, it's hard to see past those two, those eight cars, isn't it? Envision, Jaguar, Porsche, and, and Andretti. Actually, champion Jake Dennis was, was down in twelfth, but the uh, the team were, were were getting running their own programs, as far as I understood, and and just getting uh, operationally back up to back up to temperature. I think Ed, Edo Moltaro is noteworthy in sixth with the reduced running he did. I mean, to give you an idea, he only did one hundred and fourteen laps compared to Evans is two. 247 uh de Vries was a bit further down the order in 18th and then the rest was kind of as expected you know there was that middle ground of uh of nissan the two nissan teams oliver roland jqs um the ds guys were were, were there or thereabouts as we we knew they were but i think they're going to be the ones looking at, at a big improvement for for the season ahead and i know that i just had a chat with stoffel van dorn who said that they're confident they can they can find a bit more of a bit more pace uh certainly one lap pace with the the software upgrades they've got and then lucas degrassi returned to apps um got a, a solid number of laps in as well um the the neo team which is now known as ert yet another name change i think that's like the 74th one since the season one or whatever but you know a new iteration of of team there sergio sete camera had a number of problems with his battery and dan tickton brought up the rear in terms of the 22 um so i think ert Although they'll be known as, as as this new name, they've infuriatingly got a, I mean, a lovely livery, really sort of dynamic livery, but very similar to Apt's. So we got another one of those situations uh. where commentators are going to be doing double takes and struggling to pick out cars with with those colours. But yeah, um, ERT, both of their drivers brought up the rear over the overall standings. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, the the other thing which is, I think expected was just the the closeness of the actual of the actual times i mean from mitch evans is 124 474 down to nico muller's 25 177 you know there's half a second covering first to 19th so it's ultra close but the order is kind of as as we expected uh, prior to the test now you mentioned uh, earlier on it was the public debut of attack charging and is that is it now officially called attack charging that's it that that is what it is known as in the regulations right attack charge which is an extra an extra um energy boost so the attack mode which they'll take is a, is a power boost uh, and this is essentially just giving a bit of extra uh juice into the into the battery it's a direct plug-in so um we i managed to get a really good perspective over the neon mclaren pit as jake hughes made one of these on tuesday morning before the drama began and it was quite interesting to see actually i spoke to i spoke to gary paffett who we'll hear from shortly about how they actually managed to 
to, to go through this procedure, and they were doing it for the first time. Just a reminder, this technology was supposed to come last season, but because mm. of the knock-on of all the problems they had with Gen 3, and particularly the cell spec change, which came about through, um, through with, with WAE trying to get that problem solved, and, and they did do that effectively, that there was just this knock-on. We're not sure yet exactly when this is going to be introduced, which race. I think it's going to be a big ask for the entire grid to go into Mexico and do this because with the problem we had with the pit fire, there wasn't sufficient time to do a mock race and a simulation race with this attack charge. So what they did was they just simulated it. They just they just let, oh, let, okay. the, let the seconds tick down. So it wasn't right. used. So it wasn't there. actually charging. Wasn't actually charging. No, they had done on right. the Tuesday and they used right. it in the actual test sessions. But for the mock race which if anyone's interested, Robin Frein's one. Um, right, well, he's clearly pre-season favourite then. Yeah, obviously, yeah. And, yeah. you know, Robin's not won for, for for ages, has he? So, you know, he'll take anything at the moment after his season <laughs> he had last year with Ab Cooper. Um, but, yeah, th- that was the one, I think, the one really, the big knock-on in terms of not getting something completely evidenced for all the teams. I, you know, I spoke to Envision and they had some problems on the Tuesday I think it's important to note as well that, that you know there is a slight discrepancy between the manufacturers and the customers here because the manufacturers got these or certainly saw and inspected and on few of the manufacturers used this infrastructure very briefly at a Verano test last year and have used it privately, whereas the customers saw it for the first time in Valencia. So to introduce that as a sporting dynamic um, in the first race, which is only 10 weeks away, and they don't get chance to test it as well, I think is a big ask. So I think it would be sensible at the earliest for this to be evidenced and to be used at the Riyadh races at the end of January at the very earliest. But it may be actually slightly later, um, considering that this, this has, still has to be used in anger. Nobody wants to see this change the change the dynamic of a race or change the result of a race because they haven't got the the the, um, the boosting uh, completely licked yet. Should we hear from Gary before we uh, talk about how it actually works in a sporting context a little bit more? I think we should. Who better than the, the great Gary Paffitt to run us through how these things work, work operationally? I mean, he's uh, as, I, as I said to him, he's been used to pit stops in DTM for, for many years. And, you know, a pit stop is a pit stop. But this, without the dynamism of a you know, multi-person tyre change or refuelling. It's a very different thing. And I think actually, apart from what Gary says, understanding how the TV are going to make this work is a, is, is a, is a, a conversation for another time maybe. But I see that as key for making this work within the context of an EPRI. But yeah, Gary just introduces us here to how his team perfected this and, and started to really understand the, the hardware which is produced by WAE and uses the same cells that are in the traction battery and Gary just talks us through how that dynamic went and how the team approached getting this new technology onto the car last weekend. So effectively once the car the, the car comes in and um, once you go you can't plug the plug in until you go to neutral so the guy goes to neutral because obviously that's the ready to move light thing as well so you can never touch the car. Um, and then you plug the uh, the device in, I mean, whatever you want to call it, the probe or the plug, whatever the socket, 
Um, you plug it in, and once you plug it in, the car and the charger know it's charging. And then that's when effectively the timer starts. Um, so there's an allocated amount of energy you have to you have to put in the car, but actually the limitation is the time. So you've got this is set for every event, and for here it's 33 seconds stationary time, basically. Um, the charger will kind of release once the um, the charger's in the car. Um, and like I said, the car the, the car dash has a countdown for the driver to see okay. um, for when that time is up, yeah. effectively. And I, it depends on the systems and the different cars and things like that and how they do it. But effectively, the driver you know, shouldn't be able to leave the pit box until that time is up, yeah. um, really. And then it's up to you know, our car controller to see that happening and, and then look at the pit lane and do the normal sort of thing. You know, I think the, that side of things um, hopefully is a bit... Well, it's easier and it's not easier. So obviously, you're not doing a two-second pit stop, so you've got 33 seconds to think about it and look yeah. at what's going on. But likelihood is, if you're coming in with other cars, they've got exactly the same amount of stationary time, so you're going to be releasing at the same time, I yeah. guess. You know, So we haven't been through that yet. But um, for us, um, yesterday and, and obviously the rest of the week is about trying to refine our kind of operation with regards to the pit stops because we've not done it before and it's, it's the first time we've had access to the charger here. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, for us, that's where we've still got a lot of work to do, you know, because um, it's the first time we've done it, you know, with the rest of the stuff about running the car, the setup, things we've done for a year already, but this is something new to us, so there's um, still a lot of space for improvement on that for us. So, Sam, explain to me uh, on a a sporting um, format how this is actually going to work and how long on those simulated ones were they stopping for? Yeah, so they, they had a minimum time at Valencia of 33 seconds. Um, so this this is a, a plug-in probe, essentially, into the back. Right. So, and are they allowed to work on the car in any other way while this is going on, or is it purely just the uh, attack charge? No, this is, this is purely the attack charge. So the attack charge will happen with a designated member of staff um, plugging it in from the rear. The driver comes in, he has to go into neutral. The car has to be in neutral before the plug is plugged into the into the car and then it will charge and there will be a minimum stop time. Now, it, it, speaking to in, Jake... In that, sorry, in that time, how much charge are they able to add? Well, that's that. That's actually to be to be decided. What what oh, they okay. will do, <laughs> what they will do is they will, um, they will have similar to the attack mode um, nomination in terms of how many attacks you allowed and for how many time. You all that data will be received by the teams prior to the event, so it will possibly change from from event to event depending on the length of the pit lane and and how the the the, the track is is laid out. I think thinking about it some of the tracks will be much easier than others i mean mexico will be a, a fairly straightforward one because you've got a super wide formula one pit lane but you know when you look at places like um like monaco for instance and you look at other tracks i mean hyderabad will be will be pretty challenging we haven't seen tokyo yet we've seen the layout but we don't know the the actual detail about how that pit lane is is laid out portland will be quite easy because it's quite nice and wide but certainly there will be pit lanes that are extremely challenging to get the cars in and out and i think that's going to be key one thing we know is that they won't be able to double stack these cars so each team will bring one of their cars in before the other you can't just stack up a car behind it and then and then do the 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 attack charge in that way and there's no technical way in which 
a, a team can develop a system whereby they're able to charge more quickly or get more charging in the allotted time, right? This is all just mandated. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, it has to be in that in that sense. I mean, this isn't this isn't something. Well, I don't know. Can... I would say the sort of trickle down, you know, sellability. That's the you know, if that somebody can demonstrate their cars charge more quickly, but yeah, let's yeah, not get stuck into that. I, I think I think for the initial for the initial season of this, then you know, they have to be completely sure of it. I mean, this is um, you know, when you are putting a, a serious charge into a battery. Um, you have to be completely sure from a safety perspective that, that this is going to be this is going to be okay and that's what they you know they, there has been as far as i know no um question about the the integrity of this this infrastructure so far uh, and nor should there be but what it just needs is some practice to make sure the teams are au fait with the equipment and understanding how to prepare it and, and manage it properly um i think the actual key area of intrigue is going to be two things i think getting out of the pit lane without touching and and not quick you know releasing the cars in a safe manner i think that's going to be one thing i think the other one is that a lot of the short tracks in in formula a and we've touched on this before you could see cars going a lap down now if that happens what is the blue flag rule you know is will the blue flag rule be the same as it is um which could alter and scupper somebody's chances of, of ultimately winning so and then teammates could start um strategically um holding well, yeah, i was going to say there's a lot of potential for yeah. strategic full course yellow or you know virtual safety car isn't there exactly i think i think working working on this will take a lot of um close collaboration with scott elkins the race director and i know that he spoke to a number of team bosses last last weekend i think if there is a full course yellow or a safety car then that's going to be extremely advantageous to to pit under those those conditions if you can um and it just i I just feel as though a lot of these are unanswered questions, but they were hoping to get a genuine simulated race, which which they kind of did, but without actually using the charge. Um, but it, you know, the key takeaways from that are, are pretty unknown, and I don't think that they got a massive amount of of understanding of how that would play out in terms of the etiquette of going a lap down, because the Valencia track is you know is not a, a typical Formula E circuit it's 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 pretty much um it's pretty much permanent track so it's hard to do that accurately when it is not a a street circuit or a small track where you get these elements of of laps going sorry cars going lap down um and then there's the whole there's the whole debate about how you articulate that to the people watching it um i was gonna say cars being a lap down and on and off whether lead laps or not for a Formula E audience, that's very tough. It's not like NASCAR where, you know, at Martinsville or Bristol or whatever, you, that's just the way it works and it all sort of pans itself out anyway. Um, you know, a, a single-seater Formula E race, that's, you know, foreign territory. Yeah, yeah. And they've got to be a bit careful because Formula, one thing that Formula E has always got right is the closeness of its racing. It's always had ultra-close racing. And if if this if this isn't administered in the in the correct way and fully understood, then you know you could get a huge breakup of the of of that DNA in the championship. And the the, the scenarios um, that that 
that they have about going a lap down, which will happen. I'm fairly confident that there will be a couple of tracks where this will happen. Then they have to understand how how the lap cars and the cars that are ahead behave and how you know how the blue flag rules that just you know we talk about the technology and all the amazing innovation in in sport these days in motorsport particularly formula e but it could come down to some marshals waving a blue flag or, or the fia amending the blue flag rule which i'm sure will be looked at i think that's that's going to be quite a key element of this but we're just going to have to wait and see but i think it will it will introduce a new area of jeopardy into the races which ultimately is good we want to see we want to see a lot of different strategies at play um but at the same time we're just going to have to see on which circuits this this works out but with double headers of course they have got the luxury of perhaps doing one just attack mode race and then one with an attack mode and an attack charge so one thing we do know is that the attack mode will have to come after the attack charge um that's part of the regulations too so oh, okay um yeah right. they, they will be you know there won't be a, a freedom of, of taking an early attack mode it will be uh, it will be one after the other should we hear from uh, our pace setter let's mitch do it evans. mitch evans yeah. yeah yeah i had a good chat with mitch um this was when we weren't allowed into the into the pits itself so we did this in the car park which was nice and and mitch and you get all the glamorous roles I do, I do, and um, you know, Mitch and Mitch and uh, Emily from the PR from Jaguar, uh, very sweetly brought me a um, a can of pop and a and a, a chocolate bar for sustenance, which was lovely. So uh, I bedded down in the car park and and had a chat with Mitch. So f- forgive the uh, the Mistral or whatever the Spanish equivalent of the Mistral is. It was a bit windy in the car park, but I'm sure you can put up with it for a minute or so. There's a lot in there that could change the dynamic of a race, isn't there? Like, yeah. Are you seeing it that way still? A lot of variables there. Yeah, pretty much. Honestly, I, I see it. Um, yeah, and also charging time. Um, there's a lot of sporting regs that need to be decided. But I think that at the end of the day, what are we trying to achieve with it? Is it to have, you know, to showcase the tech or is it to obviously make it more exciting? Obviously, the best of both, you know, would be, would be great. So we have to make sure that those elements are going to be ticked, right? Um, right now, I'm on, kind of, I'm, I'm on the fence about it. Um, I want the racing to be, you know, the racing is great. You know, the race has always been good in Formula E. Um, will it make it better? I think it's going to be highly unlikely it will, but I could be completely wrong. But I think it, it, it can't be confusing for the viewers. Um, you know, I think once you have cars going lap down and some cars can't stop because, you know, there's only one charger per team, the charging time at the moment is too long to double stack. It can be very, I can really, it can really confuse people very quickly now. You know, the, the sport's already relatively confusing. So, so um, I think we have to be careful. But um, I see the angle that you know, the, you know, the championship and the FI want to want to try and you know go down to try and make it work. But it has to be right. So um, we have to we have to wait and see. Yeah. So. Our one and only pre-season test is concluded. Um, we've talked about you know the the usual suspects being at the top. What about a few of the uh, the drivers that have uh, swapped teams? How is Cassidy getting on in his uh, new surroundings? Does he look at home there already with the with, the, with his best mate next to him? 
Yeah, he does. Yeah, they, they were they were well, they were on a high from going to Paris and seeing New Zealand win in the semi final, but probably a different disposition mm, yeah. uh, as we record this today after they <laughs> yeah. lost to South Africa. But uh, that apart, yeah, Nick Nick was very much already ensconced in the team, and I, I spoke to James Barkley about how he'd integrated and yeah very very smoothly he'd been at the factory and he'd been uh, understanding how his side of the garage is going to work and the new culture and philosophy that a manufacturer team has and all the things that we spoke to him about a couple of weeks ago and yeah he looked bang on the pace and he, and he was he was third quickest he was just um, I think just under two tenths off Mitch's time looked very comfortable bagged a load of laps exactly what he needed uh, and I think he's in a yeah a very good position heading into Mexico uh, the other the other drivers I mean the the new old new old whatever you want to call them uh, Oliver Rowland and Robin Frines I didn't speak to Ollie but I did catch up with Robin um, and he was loving it back at Envision um, slightly different sort of setup to, to what he left the team in in 2021 but yeah he sort of plugged himself back into uh, that role and was uh, was working with Sebastian Buemi very well so well no, um, you know now he's back to his winning ways with the uh, the glory the, of the uh, the mock race, race yeah <laughs> yeah he was he was on good form uh, Norman Nato was um looked very happy at Andretti and so he should be because um you know he's got a real chance of adding to that one Epre win that he's got so far, Sam Bird at Neon McLaren wasn't far off Jake Hughes and, and seemed to be playing himself in well there. A lot of familiar, well, some familiar faces uh, for Sam to uh, to work with there. Stephen Lane, his engineer from Envision and, and DS Virgin Days, uh, they're back together. And ditto Lucas Degrassi and his engineer Marcus Mickelberger. So, you know, Lucas just it just feel, feel, felt as though he strolled back into Kempton at uh, base and has, has uh, picked up from where he uh, left when he left the team at the the end of 2021. So it's quite quite amusing seeing Lucas back uh, on his old stomping ground. And Jehan Daruvala as well did a very good job. He was um, pretty solid, managed to make quite a bit of progress, ended up 15th quickest and, and looked reasonably at home at Maserati, which had a turbulent few weeks leading up to this um, up to this test, because I don't think we covered well, before in the last we, pod, did we? Yeah, before we get stuck into the any and a business, should we, should we hear from uh, Mudlinger again and sort of wrap up testing, and then we can then we could do a bit of a news roundup. Let's do that. Yeah, Florian Mudlinger just had a good chat with Florian about where Porsche were. Big year for them, their fifth season in Formula E, and that, you know now that they've got this continuity and it's a set homologation. And after the promise, although the drop-off last season, uh, he and the Porsche team are really, really chomping at the bits to try and get that elusive title for, for Tag Heuer Porsche. So as we stand, we're not sure exactly what the programme is going to be for the remaining days of the test here in Valencia, but talk to us about yesterday morning because you had both cars on track. What was the programme and, and what occurred in those three hours of running? Yeah, the program was, uh, first of all, out of the box, the race cars for season 10 uh, to get familiar again with the whole race operation, race team acting together first time after season finale in London. And uh, that was the clear target that uh, two drivers getting back to race mode, the team is getting back to race mode, functional tests of the cars and then uh, conducting our program with different settings, setups and test points. Uh, within the morning session, which went very well. Uh, we could contact our 
our program without any issue and any problem and therefore I'm quite happy uh, to have this session in the box. So looking ahead to this season, I, th I think there's a sort of consensus in the paddock that the order might not change that much. But Formula E can surprise. I think there's there's also an emphasis on the fact that there is the two-year homologation cycle, so you can't change anything structural in the powertrain. That said, there are things vehicle dynamically, software that can change. And what's your viewpoint on how the order could change this season because it is close you know the people forget that it is extraordinarily close between all 11 teams pretty much the competition level is so high in the series and the manufacturers and teams there are so professional on a very very high level and uh, you could see also last season uh, depending on the racetrack and if a manufacturer and team is prepared well for for dedicated racetrack or dedicated conditions Uh, that the field was mixed up. When you see Jakarta, suddenly a car was there uh, dominating, which was not there dom uh, at the beginning of the season. And you can see how close it is. And uh, vehicle dynamics, as you said, and software, um, there are the next steps coming. And uh, we still progress and we will find uh, half a tenth, tenth of a second. And the team and manufacturer is doing their the best job. Uh, will be at the top at the season start. Therefore, uh, I see that there's a good chance that we can mix up. We try to stay where we are uh, because we were with Jaguar clearly on the top uh, of the rest. Uh, but it's hard, hard work. The others will catch up and uh, we will have a close competition again. I think you were quite honest last year appraising the relative lack of one lap pace in some of the races. And that seemed to be the sort of Achilles heel a little bit of, of the package you had. How are you going to address that? And is that actually a key focus heading into to Mexico? Will that be a primary sort of um, push to get a, a quicker one lap pace from the car? Yes, as you said already, uh, the weak point, and we do this each season. After each season, we have a detailed post analysis done. And there we do a strengths weakness analysis. And we have one clear weakness which was the single lap performance in qualifying and when you compare this to other teams and also to other seasons there we lacked and this we need to improve it was on Pascal's side better than on Antonio's side this means Antonio's side there we need to do a bigger push than on Pascal's side but that's the main focus we worked on also in testing already to improve the single lap performance with the total package we have It's always interesting when you come to the first test of a season and you look around the garages and the teams, although we only did it briefly yesterday, but it was noticeable that you've got some good continuity in the team. Obviously, the drivers, Pascal into his third season, Antonio is second. And then your engineering cell seems very stable as well. How important is that, Florian, to, to having a big push for the titles, which um, Porsche obviously crave for this season? Yeah, it's an important one. We had uh, between season eight and season nine, um, bigger changes and we were running uh, season 9 on a very high level when you think about uh, the total team performance we had nearly no mistakes we had no mistakes in qualifying and, and race sessions we had no rel reliability issue from the manufacturer side uh, uh, off and um, there to keep the stable and to tackle the weaknesses we still have That's the, the main target, to keep a stable team running up, which showed that we are within the top teams fighting for the title and improve the little weaknesses we still have. One of the key differences this season is going to be 
the attack charge, which is this um, this energy boost, which we're going to get through the remote chargers, which have been supplied by WA. Also, um, we saw some of them in action yesterday. I know that you've trialled them in private testing, development testing with your development car. Um, thoughts on that in terms of sporting, first of all, how that actually will feed into the dynamic of the race? Because there's a lot of unknowns, I think, with the simulations that have been done. No doubt you've done some similar ones to the FIA. Do you feel that there is a, a risk that it could break up this really close racing that we see in Formula E that everybody is pretty much used to? So you have to say, first of all, we had a spectacular racing in season nine with a great race format and a great racing product. A lot of overtakes, interesting, exciting racing. And now a new element is going to happen in season 10, this attack charging. And there we have to separate. First thing is the technical topic where the manufacturer took care about the technical validation of the product. This process is still ongoing, handed now to the teams here in Valencia and this process is not finished. That's the technical thing. And then on the sporting side, and there clearly uh, I mention also what could happen. We need to be prepared for all scenarios and also FAA because it will have a, a deep impact on the sporting thing on different kind of tracks because on some tracks you will create an overlapping situation uh, by stopping. And this needs to be handled in a correct way. Uh, blue flag situation will come up there we need a uh, clear uh, control process of, of what's going on on the track, that the blue flags are respected, and so on and so on. And um, this we will see, and um, there was also a, a Valencia to be here to prove and validate this in the racing format uh, with the race simulation, which were planned here. But we have to see now what's, what's happening, uh, if we can continue running and if the race simulation will take place. And, and final one, um, Florian, on, on Mexico. Obviously, you had a fantastic start to the season last year in Mexico and in, in Riyadh. Um, does that count for much going into a second year of a, of a package, of a, of a rule set? I mean, you're hoping it will, of course, but, I mean, are you comfortable going to those tracks? You've had such success in Mexico and, uh, and in Deir, actually. It must be a, a dream start for you every season. In Formula E, you never have a guarantee that you can repeat something what happened in the past and therefore we have to work hard. But clearly I'm looking forward to Mexico to finally get season 10 started and especially uh, Mexico, such a great start of the season with the passionate fans on the grandstands. Um, it's always amazing to go there and to go racing there and for sure our target is to fight there again for podiums and, and the victory. Thanks a lot, Florian. Uh, just on time as the coffee percolator uh, cranks into action. Um, thanks for joining us. Thanks for putting up with the acoustics here in the hotel. And uh, hopefully we can see each other at the track in a few hours. Thank you. Thank you. Right, Sam, you alluded to other things being afoot at MSG Maserati. So since we last recorded, what's happened? Well, they, they don't have a team principal. Um, James Rossiter has, uh, has departed, I think is the uh, politically correct phrase there. We're, we're not privy to the detail of, of what happened with James. I mean, I was with him just a month ago at Monaco as he was literally moving into his, his new office. So an element of surprise, I think, for certainly externally on, on James leaving that position. Um, the team wouldn't comment on it. Um, one of its 
key stakeholders, which is Jose Aznar Botella, um, who is the uh, one of the owners with Scotchwid um, of the MSG part of that of that team, uh, was the de facto team principal in Valencia, but there was no comment made on what had happened a few weeks before. So, yeah, it's still a bit in the dark of what's happening there. They are looking at, at replacing James before Mexico, of course. Um, but, yeah, not not much officially to say about that. But I think from from James Rossiter's perspective, um, it was a difficult start to, to his tenure as a team principal last season, then managed to turn it around with Max Gunter's win in Jakarta and then a number of podiums and it it all got reasonable towards the end um, and they ended up not far off fellow Stellantis Mark DS's uh, coattails at the end of the season and in the points so yeah it was um, yeah a bit, a bit of a shock um, but we'll see who is going to replace Rossiter pretty shortly I think. Uh, you also mentioned the umpteenth uh, name change for what were they originally called? Was it Team China Racing? Team China Racing, yeah, was the yeah, original which, one. In, in which is a, all, all one. the suffixes and prefixes all in one. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> what's behind this? Well, they've got new investors. Um, new investors have come in, and the part, as part of that, there is a rebrand. I believe that they're a Hong Kong um, entity. Uh, no more details than that who have, have come in. Uh, and, and DRT is the... The new name, so yeah, um, I think we went through what next EV Neo Neo three three three, probably a few other um, versions. It feels like there's another one that was in there somewhere. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I, it's I suppose the other teams have gone through similar ones. I mean, DS. DS Virgin uh, Envision. I mean, you know, Apt went through about three different versions of the same thing, didn't they, for many years? Um, so yeah, it's Renault, no different Nissan. to Jordan Spiker Midland Force India Racing Point Aston Martin, is it? I suppose not. I suppose not. No, and uh, you know what? Tolman Renault Lotus, blah blah blah. Yeah, it's just it's just business, isn't it? People forget sport is a, a motorsport is what 80 percent of business these days probably so it is uh it is part and parcel of it so we other other teams have changed their names you know andretti have been through numerous name changes as well i think everything from what we see from that team based at silverstone ert is pretty good you know they they, they punched above their weight last year got more points than they they probably hoped and i think this season's going to be tough because I'm not sure that they will make uh, huge inroads into into anyone else. So it could be that they may have plateaued to some extent, but let's see. You know, they've got some good continuity in their driver lineup and their their technical team, their engineering team there. So yeah, there's there's hopes for at least a bunch of points this season. We're recording this on Monday the 30th. I'm not quite sure when it's going to go out, but was it the, yesterday that it was officially confirmed that? Uh, Formula E will not be on Channel 4 for next season. It's going instead to TNT. Um, you've got some details on what might el- what else might be going on on the presenting front. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there were some um, uh, familiar faces in the paddock uh, from Whisper Productions, who was the company that, that Jake Humphrey and, to some extent, David Coulthard were, were involved in uh, assembling uh, about a decade ago. Uh, and Whisper are going to be part of the production of the... the 
essentially the presentation team um, sort of topping and tailing the races there and we although not confirmed we believe that Jermaine Genis is uh, going to be the the anchor man uh, ex Spurs and Newcastle and uh, Nottingham, Nottingham Forest, Forest I believe yeah, yeah. midfielder few few England caps decent decent kind of box to boxer wasn't he Jermaine scored quite a, a world quite a handy player I'm on the opening day of the season one year I remember um, <laughs> I, initially when you mentioned this I thought it was a really left field but I had because I don't watch the one show I hadn't realised he'd been a presenter on that so it's nowhere near as left field as it originally sounded left left field or left midfield yeah, yeah centre mid left <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's you know it's, it's great to have these these um, these personalities coming in I mean when Vernon Kay came in there's a few sort of double takes like you know is that is that going to work certainly did and from what I've seen of Jermaine Jenis he's extremely capable and slick in front of the camera you know he doesn't have any motorsport experience but neither did Vernon Kay, so I'm, I'm sure he'll bring a, a new dynamic to things there. Um, yeah, TNT look, looks like that deal is, is going to be announced pretty quickly. Um, Channel 4, so the, the, the big question really um, is going to be whether there is any free-to-air UK TV. As, as it stands, there doesn't seem to be, but I'm told that there is the possibility or there is some negotiations about a potential few races on ITV, one of their platforms not sure which so if that comes off it'll be a bonus but um yeah that that's that's where we're at at the moment with the the tv side of things um so let's let's just hope that they uh, they've got quite a lot to uh, to talk about i'm sure they will we'll save the inevitable calendar update for the final bit of the show uh there's anything else going on there is, and this is this is quite a surprise and, and a real tasty one, which I picked up well, in hence, Valencia. Hence the, the, the uh, tone in my voice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I, I can, um, you know, I can, um, I can go down to a sort of Barry Took kind of thing here from points of view, if you want. Why, oh, why, oh, why? Catering more for our modern audience there from the mid-80s. Oh, yeah. uh, so we have, we understand that Mahindra will be working with Mercedes high-performance powertrains uh, in the future, which is a very interesting development. We're not sure about the entire structure of this, whether it is a you know a, a, an absorbed partner within it or if it, they're using it purely for on a supplier basis. But we believe this is this is reasonably significant, and I think it's fair to say that if Mercedes HPP come on board with anything they do it extremely thoroughly uh, we know that from what they've achieved in the past with the mercedes amg formula formula one entity so this is a real tasty one and i think when you look back and you start to join some of the dots with what's happening at mahindra um, a very ambitious team with a new ambitious team principal um, building something for the long term uh, worked with zf who do stay as partners for this season but their long-term future is is unknown with with Mahindra beyond uh, next year and Tony Ross who is working as a technical consultant for Mahindra who's previously worked with Valtteri Bottas and Nico Rosberg in Formula One as an engineer then yeah there is this there is this evidential sort of network of something being put together here and, and we ran a story about this a couple of days ago just getting this 
sort of thrust of what Mahindra and Fred Bertrand are, are laying down for the future. And it's it's super interesting because although this isn't a Mercedes returning to a Formula E because it's a, an affiliate company or whatever you want to position it as, I think it's significant that it does have this uh, this link with Mercedes. And Mahindra and Mercedes do have partnerships in automotive and and other industries um as well and then they've had that for a number of years so so there's a lot of things that really uh mirror here and, and actually feel pretty good so there's no wonder that edo mortara and nick de vries are, are looking very relaxed and very confident for the long-term deals that they they inked uh, just a few weeks ago Mm, well, that's very much a watch this space, I think, and uh, it'll be very interesting to see how that develops over the coming seasons. So, finally, Sam. Sam's Calendar Update. It wouldn't be a Formula E podcast without a calendar update. What's happening? Well, we thought it was we thought it was all over, didn't we, at the WMSC uh, a few but weeks it, ago? It isn't now. <laughs> it never, it never is. It never is. And um, the the latest rumor that was doing the rounds in Valencia is that there could be an additional race bolted onto the end of the season. And end of the season, what we're running into August now. We we? we are, yeah, oh, and Jesus. it's not unknown. You know, there was the Berlin races, of course, and then Seoul. A couple of years ago was in August, so it's. It was a winter series when I started working in it. It very much (laughs) isn't now. It very much isn't now. So there is the possibility of Jakarta coming on board in early August to to finish off the season, and the presumption here is that the political uh, challenges that actually took the race off in early June um, would be over and would be resolved, and that this is uh, part of the original agreement that they had um, and you know whether or not money's changed hands we don't know but certainly it looks like um, Jakarta is is possible and a lot of people saying it's highly likely that this would this will happen logistically quite difficult for Formula E for, for lots of reasons um, it all has a thread of running through from Mexico to London and this would be an extra very expensive um, freighting over of of equipment and cars from London in pretty rapid time if this is going to take place and become the season finale and then additionally I heard about the possibility that has been scoped out for a double header at Portland now again this is very much a a presumption and, and putting you know a few points together double zombies but uh, Portland could become a double header and the Italian race which is yet to have a venue but we understand that Misano is the favorite for having an Italian race next April would be a single event so essentially Formula E wouldn't be losing any any actual races in fact potentially gaining one in Jakarta um but that could be a chance of a Portland double header as opposed to an Italian double header um now it makes a lot of sense, I suppose, from the point of view of you go all the way over to Portland um, for one race. So why not have two while you're there if it's feasible? And actually speaking to Sebastian Buemi, he had a very, very good point of the fact, well, why, you know, why isn't that the case from a sustainability and logistical point of view? And I think rather not selfishly, because I think I completely agree with this point here, working in WEC myself, is why couldn't you make the Berlin race a single event on the Sunday? 
so there isn't a direct clash with the WEC race at Spa on the Saturday. But that's kind of a wishful thinking sort of thing, and I'm not sure Alberto Longo would have the same opinion. Yeah, good luck with them on that. Um, (laughs) As we were seeing from Portland last year, though, that the culture of US motorsport fans to bring the RV along and you know set it all up and camp there makes perfect sense for a double header. Just give them even more to to watch and and get into. Correct. And, and you need to fully immerse yourself in the locally craft-brewed IPA as well, don't you, for a weekend, not just a single day. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it makes it makes a lot of sense to do that while, while you're over in, in Oregon. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a big old flight over there, so make the most of it when you are at that facility. So, so let's see, you know, we expect an update. The latest would have to be sort of December, I think, because going into a season not knowing where you're racing isn't, is never a good look. So hopefully... By early December, which I think is when the next World Motorsport Council meeting is when they do the awards, I think we will know if Jakarta is making a making a sort of Lazarus-style comeback in August and if we're going to have this potential doubleheader in Portland. But um, overall, I think there was... Looking at the Rome, um, missing Rome, that was a big, you know, we covered it in the last podcast, but certainly a lot of people were commenting to me that it was a a big loss um, not having Rome there because everybody enjoyed racing. We got to the bottom of what's happened. Uh, not really, not officially. I mean, the official line is that, you know, there was an element of safety in the... Um, in the decision, I'm not so sure, to be oh. honest. I think, you know, if you can save four to five million euros on a genuine street track and and go to Mizano, um, I think if you've got to do that, you, you take that chance, mm-hmm. potentially. Well, good luck getting a crowd there, that's what I'm going to say. Well, exactly. You know, unless you're Valentino Rossi, you, you know, you, you're going no, to struggle I... to, to yeah. get any kind of crowd there. I've been there several times for European truck racing, and, you know, apart from destroying 300 metres of Armco, the truck's... <laughs> uh, the, to the, 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 there wasn't much else going on in, uh, and, uh, on, on the, I, the DTM went there and struggled I mean it's just yeah people go there on holiday they don't get to watch races anyway before we drift far too far off onto sounding like even more miserable old men than we are Sam thank you very much um, thank you all for listening um, obviously check out the-race.com for all the latest updates from Sam his calendar um, brands returning to racing teams changing their names and whatever else uh, obviously check out the rest of our podcasts on formula one and the moto gp whose seasons are you know running into what triple figures it feels like and uh, get well soon jed goodbye the athletic